Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. There you go. How are you? Good, good, good. How's life? Going great. Going good. And you? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. You can hear me all right, eh? Hear you perfectly. Perfectly? I've got my, my professional mic all set up, so hopefully you're getting good quality sound from me. You're ready to disrupt a few people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how much background uh, you know on the new book. You want me to give you the two seconds or... No, uh, no, mate. You can you can tell us about it in the interview. That's oh, um, okay. yeah. You uh, obviously got the new book out, so we'll talk about the book, um, and the ins and outs of that, and we'll just take the conversation as we go. Is, Terrific. Is there a particular direction you want to take it, or are you happy just for discussing the book? No, nope, just happy. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm here. All right, cool. Um, and no time restrictions for you. Probably about no. Uh, 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Is that okay? Perfect. The, my next appointment is until the top of the hour, the next hour. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. Me too. Uh, all right, well, let's get started. Any questions before we start? Nope, all good. I know we had you back on the show. We had you on the show um, quite some time ago, didn't we? Yep. Um, I can't remember when that was, but anyway, I guess I should find out. Several years back. Several years, you reckon? Seems like that, doesn't it? But I don't think it was quite that long ago. Disrupt you hit number one on Australia, so I I love it. Oh, oh, good. Back in June 3rd, 2017. There you go. All right. Okay. G'day, Jay. Welcome back to the Hidden White podcast. Great to have you here. So great to be back. It's good. I, um, I just looked up the previous episode, which was... In regards to your previous book, and uh, that was launched on June 3rd, 2017, and um, that was a great book, uh, Disrupt You. Um, and what did you say? It made it number one here on the Australian charts? Yep, and uh, it continues to expand around the world. In 2021, it's coming out in Urdu, Polish, Italian, I forget what else. Uh, 12 different languages. It's been the most amazing experience of my life. When you're a CEO or you build a big company, I've run companies with hundreds of thousands of employees. Your inbox is basically, I hate you. This sucks. This is broken. This is on fire. These people are suing. When you write a book that changes people's lives, you get these emails that I call love letters. Every day I wake up to emails from people that just sharing how it's changed their life. And that just makes me want to push harder. What a great way to start the day, eh? With some positive mindset sort of stuff, because you know how how terrible it is when you wake up and you read that email that is full of um, I don't know, hate or disrespect or whatever it might be, or you know, you get a call from someone, things like that, and it really just uh, can upset your day entirely, can't it? Yeah. Well, you hit on the key thing: a positive mindset, growth mindset, the most important thing you can bring to the table in life. What um, what sort of techniques or practices i suppose jay have you learned to help um you know influence that positive growth mindset so when i wake up every morning when i'm looking in that mirror there's two things i say to myself every single day today can be better than yesterday and i have the power to make it so and as you know cliche as that might sound what it does is it lights up your synaptic nerves it releases uh the same positive uh, hormones that you would get from from 
falling in love or taking drugs, and it opens your mind to positive things. So what is that saying again? What's that mantra? Today can be better than yesterday, and I have the power to make it so. Nice. So you uh, wake up, and that's the, th the first thing that comes through your head, quite religiously, Absolutely. I imagine. Absolutely. And what, do you, what else do you do in the mornings? That's probably the only uh, unusual thing. Other than that, I, you know, put shoes on one at a time like everybody else. <laughs> All right. But it was that how to get a positive mindset that I really drilled into in, in my new book, uh, Future Proofing You. I have 12 truths that you have to embrace. And that's number one. Yeah, Great I love mindset. this. F future Proofing You. I mean, this, this topic of disruption um, is quite popular now. And you might be able to elaborate why it's so popular. And I guess, you know, Disrupt You and then Future Proofing You is, is all about that. Do you feel yeah. this, this, this category that you specialize in is, is taking off? I mean, people seem to be very curious about all the So for five, five years, I've been traversing the globe telling everybody that whether by choice or circumstance, every career gets disrupted. Post-pandemic, I really don't have to push that point anymore. No. You've seen everybody it. got disrupted. Yeah. But what's interesting is in my philosophy, disruption isn't about what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to you. So the 150 wealthiest people on the planet in 2020 doubled their net worth, not their annual earnings. They doubled their net worth. So you're already a multi-billionaire. You've doubled your net worth. So same pandemic, they approached it differently. And that's what I'm trying to show people is the world has changed. Here's how you can take advantage of those changes. Here's how you can take control of your destiny in an uncertain world. Yeah. 12 truths for creating opportunity, maximizing wealth and controlling your destiny in an uncertain world. Very much an uncertain world right now. And the uncertainty and the change that makes people very uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So what led me to do a second book, I never planned on doing another book. I, I love the feedback. I, I, I'm trying to pay forward. You don't write a book to make money. You do it to help others. And I'd get all these positive emails, but occasionally, usually from a millennial, I'd get an email, something to the effect of, this is all motivational, but I could never do it. And it turns out Jay Samet has very thin skin. That, that ate at me, that, that kept me up. Why could I not reach certain people? So I had this idea, what if I put my reputation on the line? What if I find a young person that grew up on welfare, was homeless, and mentor them one day a week for a year? I would give them no money, I would not tell them what business to start, and I wouldn't introduce them to any contact. So a completely fair experiment. And this young man went from homeless to self-made millionaire in under a year. I just gave away the ending in the book, but yeah. it's, it's, it sounds like an amazing story, but he followed these 12 truths. And so I broke down the steps so that anyone at any stage of their life can relate to Vin Clancy was his name and say, at least you're on the same footing that he is. He had no advantage over you. Why wouldn't you be able to have the same results if you want? So what was his name? Bin Clancy? Yeah. How did you go about finding Bin Clancy? So funny story on that is the first time I met him, I lied to him. And he didn't find out the lie until I gave him the finished book. I didn't let him read the book until it was already typeset. And I don't like lying to people, but back to growth mindset, 
if I was going to have somebody that had never achieved suddenly believe in themselves, I had to get it right from the start. So there's a psychological effect called the Pygmalion effect. And it, it was studied by a university professor who went to a school, had all the children take a test, and then told the teachers, these three students will be the super learners, the super achievers this year. And then at the end of the year, he had everybody take a test, and lo and behold, those three kids turned out the best. What the professor didn't say is that he lied. He never looked at the first test. He picked three names at random. And the mere fact that they were told that they were special and the teachers were told that they were special, they turn out special. So I told Vin, I interviewed hundreds of people. And out of the hundreds of people, he was the only one with all the right characteristics to become a millionaire in a year. And if an older, successful person, you know, famous person says that, well, they must know what they're talking about. So we internalized that. Oh, okay. When in fact, what are these characteristics the only... that you look for? Yeah. He, well, he was the only person that I interviewed. Hmm. I made that up. Oh. Because if I, if oh, I so you told him that. Yeah. If yeah. I cherry pick the perfect person, then it's not a fair test. No. All right. If I I'm said, I'm going to make somebody a great golfer, I pick you, Tiger Woods. Let's go play golf. You know, that's cheating. So by, by making him feel special, when in fact he was the first one I sat down with. Yeah. And uh, it worked. And I have it in the book, uh, Future Proofing You, six months later, when he's already earns $600,000 or so, he brings me a note that he wrote to himself after our first meeting, for after that first day. Yeah. And where I thought it went really well and he agreed to do this and, and he, you know, done everything asked in our mentoring sessions, the note said, I don't believe this old guy. But I got nothing else going on, so you know, I'll go along with it even if I don't believe it. Hmm. And in his mind, that was the single biggest growth thing that occurred to him. That sometimes we resist change or resist ideas because we didn't think of them or our pride or whatever. So whenever we were mentoring, if he didn't have a valid reason not to agree with something, he went yeah. with it. Oh. If he had the data to disagree, great. But don't make decisions out of pride. Hmm. Yeah, very good point. This um, this guy, how old is he when you found him? Um, he was in his late twenties, thirty. Late twenties. Okay, and he was on welfare. Correct. Yeah, and you just came across him in the streets, and you his sort of parents sort of... were on welfare. Um, no, um, he he had taught himself uh what he called hacking, basically just how to use social media. And he was trying to figure out, you know, how to make a name for himself. And he was speaking at a breakfast that I attended. And I watched him and it was like watching a caged tiger. He had all this energy, but couldn't get ideas out of his mind and express himself in a way that was productive. Yeah. Um, so I said, here's somebody that I think would go along with, you know, wanting to better themselves. And, you know, his parents were on welfare, you know. He didn't have any role models that were entrepreneurs. Yeah, pretty and, pretty cool kid to be standing up there doing a speak at some breakfast. Yeah, he obviously had some, just, some drive in him. It was just just random. Mm. So this this idea of of setting ourselves up and and I guess following our own paths and and I don't, I don't know millionaire or just making a successful life out of it, being happy with what you do. I mean, that's something that's going to appeal to everyone. Yeah. So I mean, uh, in your story of helping this guy go from welfare to millionaire, people are going to just tap into that because that's what people want, right? 
and particularly right. and, and it's and it's not about money and i make that clear it's hmm. about i believe we should live a life of purpose purpose yeah and and how to turn perseverance into passion and and make your purpose happen so money is just a tool and a part of that yeah but if you're just into something for money that's not going to solve anything most people think entrepreneurs sell things yeah that's not what entrepreneurs do entrepreneurs solve problems if you solve a problem for five people you have friends solve for a million you're rich solve for a billion you change the world you know if you would have told me growing up i was working class that dozens of friends would become self-made billionaires i would ask you what are you smoking like i didn't know a millionaire i didn't know anybody that had money how could that happen and yet every 48 hours there's a new self-made billionaire what are they doing different with their time how are they seeing our interconnected life where we're one click away from seven billion consumers how are they seeing that differently and how did the pandemic create more opportunity for mm. everyone yeah mm. the um i guess that that first step of, of speaking to someone they can have that self-doubt and you know oh look i'm just not like that person i'm not intelligent enough i'm not smart enough i'm not uh, rich enough. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. All these, um, I guess, excuses or Boy, limitations. Just, just hit like the first half of the, the book. Um, people with higher IQs don't end up wealthier. People with more education, the top students do not end up wealthier. These yeah. are scientific studies. Yeah. Um, you know, there are lots of smart, unsuccessful people. There yeah. are only two things that you need, period, to be successful insight and perseverance disrupt you was all about teaching people how to get insight and in this one i fill in the blanks and take you step by step in future proofing you like one of the big oversights that i realized in the first book that i didn't talk about there is no such thing as that self-made man or woman that is a crock mm -hmm. and let me explain why i used to run emi i used to run big record labels and and you'd see an artist on the stage. I remember being at Wembley Stadium, 100,000 fans, one person on the stage. Amazing feeling. But they think that that artist got there on their own and is connecting to their heart, to them. And they don't see the producers and songwriters and roadies and managers and agents and lawyers and makeup artists, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you're not going to make it on your own either. Mm -hmm. And why should you try? when you can have a series of mentors at each stage of your career. And so in Future Proofing You, I really map out how you get mentors and why they're so critical. Even Mother Teresa had a mentor. Um, she met him on a bus bench. But you can. there are people that want to help you to succeed. Yeah. And why wouldn't you tap into that? So that's the first um, really important step for someone looking to, to, well, maybe it's not the first step, but it's certainly a part of it, isn't it? No, you hit on the earlier first steps. I mean, you, you rattle them off so fast, your audience didn't pick up on the gems. Um, fear. A lot of hucksters out there tell you fear isn't real, don't have fear, forget fear. Again, not possible. Before your rational part of your brain kicks in, the oldest part of your brain, what we call the lizard brain, has that fear, you know, fight or flight response. Yep. I see you walk in a room. Are you trying to kill me? Are you trying to mate with me? Are you something I can eat? Those are the first thoughts that go through a person's mind. So everybody has fear. The only reason you exist on this planet is because 
10 or 100 generations ago, somebody was afraid of that saber-toothed tiger and ran, right? The guy who didn't run, he doesn't have any descendants. So you cannot shut off fear. Fear is a tool. Fear is a very important tool. Athletes tap into it to make adrenaline. So most people don't want to start their business because they're afraid of being embarrassed. They're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of losing money. Legitimate fears. Hmm. But what if you change your focus to a bigger fear, right? You know, what if I, if today you hate your job? Yeah. So you trade a day of your life for it. Big deal. You trade a week, a month, a year, 10 years. You basically give away your whole life for what? To be miserable? You got one shot on this planet? Isn't the greater fear wasting this gift that you have? Hmm. So if you go talk to grandparents or go to visit senior citizens and ask them their biggest regret in life, it isn't the things that they failed at. It's the things that they failed to try. Yeah. So you're focused on the real. So people think their job's secure. You got less than 12% of the original Fortune 500 companies are still around. There are no secure jobs. Half of all jobs on the planet will disappear this decade. So you're focusing on the real fear, the wrong fear, if that's what's holding you back. But now here's what I wrote about, and it's it's the third truth in the book. Yeah. If you now accept the fact that you have fear, that we all have fear, that fear is real, turn the table for a second. That person sitting across the table from you, either the person you're trying to sell to, trying to hire, trying to get investment capital from, they also are motivated by the identical fears. So if you can figure out how to frame your conversation in a way that elicits that fear, now they have to pay attention. Like too many people go, oh my God, I've got the greatest idea, I've got this big meeting, I got my giant meeting and fill in, fill in the corporation. I'm meeting with the CEO of Atlassian today. This could make or break my little company. This is, this is it, this is the most important thing. That's for your side of the table. For the other side of the table, you're the only thing stopping that person from going to lunch. Yeah. So that primary motivation of they want to eat is top of mind. They don't care what you're saying. How do you then get them in a fear mood? Well, there's three fears you can leverage. Well, there's the fear of them missing an opportunity. There's the fear of the humiliation if they had a shot that they didn't. So there's many ways to do that. So I really show people how to harness fear to their advantage. And that's a powerful tool. So what are those three fears? Fear of missing out on the opportunity? Fear, fear of missing out is the big one. And I think the proof of understanding fear of missing out is anybody that's on social media. It's all based on FOMO. Yeah. Fear of unemployment. The bigger the company you're dealing with, the higher the executive level. And remember, I've been NASDAQ company CEO. Their sole goal isn't making the company more successful, more money. Their sole goal is self-preservation. Yeah. So fear of unemployment. Great thing. You know, you go to middle manager and go, hey, I wanted to show you this opportunity or whatever, because later in the week, my boss is meeting with your boss. And I think, you know, you might want to know why this is so good, you know. And then the last one, which is I, I learned when I was in Australia, you have a uh, an expression not to be the tallest poppy. Yeah. It's fear of public humiliation. Luckily, I was born without that fear and that served me well, but I don't understand why others have it. Hmm. Somebody that failed, tried. Somebody that, that, that has haters stood up for an opinion. I mean, they did something. 
You know, the world was created by stubborn people. Yeah, I guess the fear of humiliation, it's, it's putting someone in a place of vulnerability that somehow maybe weakens their position in their tribe or social status. And uh, certainly that's, I guess, no, leads back said, to some sort of... that you care what others think. Yeah, stop caring what others I'll, think. I'll tell you something. I've yet to meet a hater that's doing better than I am. Yeah. So don't care. I remember I had a dear friend when I started my first company in my 20s. And I went out to raise money and it was, you know, close friend. And he turned me down, as many people did. And there's nothing wrong with that. But years later, when the company sells for millions and millions of dollars and it's an obvious success and, 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 and everything else, he came to me and he said, you know, it always bothered me, Jay, that you never gave me the chance to invest in your company. Hmm. He didn't even remember the opportunity because it was so insignificant at the time. Yeah. But years later, people were like, oh, I wish I could have. I wish I could, you know. Um, so don't worry about other people's thoughts. Yeah. Here's the only thought that you have to come down to. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that leads back to the, the whole mindset thing. Um, and maybe, you know, for someone like yourself who has never given a shit what other people think, there's so many other people out there that do care and it certainly limits them. Is there any things you've come across, like this young guy that you helped, um, to help him stop caring about what others think? Is there any practices or methods that you've sort of implemented so, or suggest? So, again, different generation, different motivators. If you grew up with only social media, you have a greater desire to be famous than you do to be financially secure. Yeah. This may not seem rational, but rational, you know, thoughts are subjective. So one of our first big disagreements is when he was starting his business, he wanted to name it after himself. And I tried to explain why that's a bad idea. If it fails, then your name failed, right? If it's successful, you want to be able to sell it apart from you and go do something else. If it's intrinsically tied to your name, it doesn't make sense. And I couldn't get him past this. But he was a young kid from, from grew up in London. And so then it dawned on me, somebody that I used to work with, Richard Branson. I go, Richard Branson's famous, yes, yeah. Did he name his company Branson? No, he named it Virgin. Actually, by the way, the smartest brand name in the history of brand names because it says, I don't know what I'm doing. So you're new, you're a virgin. If it's successful, great. If it fails, it just reinforces the brand. Yeah. And Richard's had 300 virgin companies. Most of them failed. Virgin Brides, Virgin Cola. But he's had eight that have become multi-billion dollar companies in different fields because hmm. he wasn't afraid to try. Yeah. His, his headmaster when he was in, in high school said to him, you're either going to end up in prison or very successful. Yeah, I remember that. Crazy, huh? What, um, I mean, he's, he's come up with obviously a lot of ideas, and I suppose once you're in that position, it's easier. I would think anyway, maybe I'm just making an excuse. It's actually I'm... harder, because what happens is most people, by the time they get to the C-suite, whatever thinking led them to their success, they calcify and follow in stone, which is why it's so easy to disrupt large companies. They don't want to change what they're doing. Nobody wants to change because it got them to where they are. Mm. Richard's superpower, and I have a whole chapter in Future Proofing You on everybody has a superpower and you have to ignite it. Um, but Richard's superpower, in my opinion, is he can think like the everyday man. Now, that may sound easy because we all are the everyday man and think that way. But when you have a billion dollars, 
it's really hard to stay thinking like the everyday man. Right. It's also why your favorite comics, when they become super successful in Hollywood, stop being funny. Yeah, yeah. Right? They don't share a common life. Mm. So, so every airline, when Richard was you know, focused on, on Virgin Airlines, it, it really impressed me. And I used to go to England every other week for, for 10 years Yeah, uh, from the States. I flew like crazy on Virgin. And every airline's pretty much the same, and his was different. And he did something that was so obvious if you thought like your customer that no other airline thought of. So if you're flying upper class, first class, or whatever, you know, you usually rent a car to take you to the airport, you know, and then you rent another car to take you from the airport in London to your hotel. Richard said, most of his customers are doing this, so why not include it in the ticket? So when the guy picks you up at your door, at your house, he's tagging your bag and taking it from you. You never drag it through the airport or through customs or anything. And when you land at the other side, there's a car waiting for you that has your bag. Hmm. He took all the hassles out of travel, or as many as you could. Hmm. Perfect. Genius. And you'll pay more for that because you would have paid for it anyway. But gaining this level of insight, like thinking like the everyday man, I mean, I'm actually going back to a, a previous comment you made. Everyone has their, their what, what did you say, superhero strength. What was your, what is your superhero? So mine, when I was a kid, they told me it was liability. Right. And actually, Richard and I share this. I'm dyslexic. Yeah. Richard says, and what that basically means is I don't think linearly. I connect the dots in a weird, what they tell me is, you know, not the right way to do it. It's the only way I know how, and it works. Yeah. Now, you can rewire your brain. You can actually teach yourself to think like a dyslexic person, as strange as that sounds. But that turned out to be the differentiator. And I have friends that are great at empathy or great at connecting people or, or um, Reed Hoffman, who, who you know started LinkedIn and did the – I've worked with the best – he can see farther in the future than anybody I've ever met. Yeah. And and so people, if you can hone, and the trick to find your superpower is what do people seek your advice on? Hmm. Right? No one's ever come to me for fashion advice. I'm pretty sure that's not my superpower. But what is it that people want? And the proof of the pudding is, you know, just once I'd like to have a CEO call me and say, Jay, our company's having its best year. We want you to come in and make it even better. No. The biggest companies in the world bring me in when they're not having their best year. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm the guy that solves problems. Yeah. The, the other big thing that I wanted to cover in this book that most people don't understand that goes back to mindset but in a way that is insidious hmm. is people don't understand where money comes from. When you were in school, when you were a young kid, you were taught the old example, if Jay buys a banana for $1 and sells it to you for $2, Jay makes a dollar, that's how people make money. Mm -hmm. Now that is accurate, but it's misleading. Yeah. That is a zero sum game mindset. The only way I make money is taking your money. And if you have that mindset, then when the other person gets a promotion, you hate them because that money could have gone to you or foreigners are taking my jobs or other countries are taking my jobs or robots. You just see this whole world as a as a vicious dog eat dog that we're all gone for the same scraps. Yeah. Not in abundance. Let me give you the way that money's actually made. Jay starts a new company and I say, hey, 
would you like to buy 10% for $10,000? And you say, yes. You give me the $10,000, now what do I have? I now have $90,000 in equity. I can hire people with that. I can buy companies with that. <clears throat> I can do everything you can do with money. I've made money like an alchemist out of thin air, money that wasn't created by the Federal Reserve or any government. And that's how somebody like Jeff Bezos can lose money year after year after year with Amazon and come out the other side of it as the richest man in the world. Right. So the billionaires that are created, the 40 million millionaires that are created, most of them made money that way. So there's the Warren Buffett way. It's worth 80 something billion dollars. Phenomenal. But he made 99% of that after he was 50. Yeah. Or there's the Kylie Jenner of the Kardashian clan's way that became a billionaire at 22. Hmm. Which way would you want to do it? Yeah. I'd rather ha have the money when I can enjoy it and my kids can enjoy it. When I can have an impact with it. That's, I mean, that's a lot of money, isn't it? <laughs> Billions of dollars. And I think what we're going to you're going to have is people in the audience going, yeah, well, that's, that's great, Jay, but um, you know, it's not obviously for everyone. Well, but the point of future-proofing you was to show that anyone that wants to do it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. For that year for Vin, I was really worried he was going to tap out, right? I pushed him hard, but he didn't date. He didn't watch TV. He didn't go to the game. He worked hard, you know? Yeah. Daytime was for making calls and, 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 and getting prospecting. Nighttime was for doing the work. And so he worked harder in one year than most people were willing to so he can live the rest of his life in a manner most people can't. Yeah, I think that's a fair trade. Hmm. Or do you just want to have a, a job that doesn't satisfy you, doesn't stimulate you, doesn't allow you to make the world better? And no, and I think it's going back to that original point you made. Look at the bigger fear. Don't look at the short-term fear, but look at the bigger fear. And by the way, capitalism is putting capital to work. People think capitalism is buying and selling. Capitalism means you don't have to work because your capital is working. Yeah. That then frees you to focus on other problems to solve in other ways. And I have a chapter in Future Proofing You on sustainable capitalism because the old model of every year, every company has to grow and do more. You can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. And we're paying that price right now. Hmm. So sooner or later, businesses will be have greater and greater regulations to try to save life on this planet. Why not get ahead of it? Why not figure out how to solve problems and build businesses that are sustainable and you'll prosper? Yeah. 100%. What, um, I mean, just going to identifying these solutions, what is a couple of key techniques that someone could sit there right now going, yep, I don't really like my job. I'm connecting with what Jay's saying. Um, you know, I need to go out there and, and figure this out and just take that leap. So I have a technique called three problems a day for 30 days. Yeah. And guarantees you that you have 90 good ideas by the end of the month. So today, not tomorrow, write down three problems in your life. Do it the next day and the next day. And you say, oh, that sounds easy. Well, the first day, pretty easy. You got stuck in traffic, whatever. By day three, most people can't see any more problems. And the reason is because you're on autopilot and you don't have not been paying attention to the moment of moment of life because that's the way it always is. There's nothing I can do about it. I put up with it. We talked about Richard Branson. 
Richard Branson had a music company. Yeah. He was on a trip to the Caribbean with his girlfriend. He needed to go back to London and they canceled his flight. I fly internationally all the time. Flights get canceled all the time. What do most people do? We just put up with it. Yeah. What did he do? He looked at all these people sitting around. He figured out what it cost to, to charter a plane. He did the math so he and his girlfriend could fly free. And he held up a sign that he took out of the trash can and wrote on it what tickets were sale, filled up the plane. And that's how a dropout music guy starts an airline. Hmm. He solved the problem. It was yeah. that simple. Yeah. So in your 30 days, you will do this. I have a, I have a, a reader that has become a friend that one morning he was taking his medicine, as many people do, and the phone rang. He got off the phone, and did he take his pill? Ooh, that's a problem. If he takes too many, you overdose. If you don't take enough, you don't get better. You get sick. So then he's thought about taking a little Happy Meal watch, you know, little 25-cent watch, put it on the lid of the pill bottle, so when you close it, it sets it at zero. So you can pick up the pill bottle and say, oh, it hasn't been open for eight hours or, oh, it was open three minutes ago. Then he put Bluetooth on it so you could know if grandma's taken her medicine and sold these all over the world at pharmacies. Yeah. The ideas will come from your problems. Yeah. The yeah. solutions are most likely already out there. They're just not steered at your problem. So you don't have to invent something from scratch. You just have to reuse and target things to solve the problem that you identified. With a great example. Yeah. Can you, can you live without your smartphone, your iPhone? Probably not. No. Could anybody in today's no. world? No. But 10 years ago when it came out, all the same functionality, two of the top 10 apps, top 10 in the world. One was a fart app, made fart sounds, and one was a game with cats. Or in other words, no one had thought of all the other billion-dollar businesses that came out of apps. Hmm. Crazy. So you didn't have to invent the phone. You didn't have to invent the network. You didn't have to invent anything. You just had to take that tool. And so in this new book, I talk about a trillion dollar opportunity that's bigger than smartphones, that no one has 1% share of, that the big guys are working on the hardware part of it, the Apples and the Facebooks and the Googles. And you just need to solve one little problem with an app and you're the next giant company. Hmm. Sounds intriguing. So, change always is opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that right now, obviously, and, and that's probably part of the reason I imagine why some of these um, big uh, companies or millionaires are, have doubled their revenue even during a, a pandemic. It's a mindset and approach to looking at things. And I don't want to make light of how many people are suffering. I don't know the stats everywhere, but in the U.S., we have 140 million people at the bottom that own less than 1% of everything. Yeah. Their life is about feeling left out and left behind and you know struggling for somebody else's leftovers. Hmm. That's why I wanted to take somebody from that and show that they didn't have to go to the right schools or have the right family or the right connection, that anyone, if they want to, can achieve. Yeah. What had, been, no, what had Bin Clancy no gone to create? Sorry, say again? What had Bin Clancy gone to create, his um, companies? Oh, so 
his idea of what he wanted to do was he wanted to do social media for people, just mm -hmm. like 50 million other people that use social media that want to do social media. And when you're basically a young guy with no company, no experience, whatever, you're not going to get, you know, Coca-Cola to suddenly say, take over our account. Yeah. And the people you do know don't have any money, you know, so it doesn't make sense. So a good mentor doesn't tell you what to see. They tell you where to look. Yeah. And so one of the truths that's so important in the book, truth number nine, is fill a void. So taking the same skill sets that he believed he had, look around what's being talked about in the press. What is the zeitgeist of the moment? What is something that needs what you do and be the best at doing it just for that one little niche? And if you're the only one focused on that niche, by definition, you're the best. Get your first client, and the second you do a great job for that client, you now have a case study, and you are now, in fact, the best, and all the other clients will happen. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's straightforward. I've started lots of companies, that, that, as you know, and sold them for tons of money, and, 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 and what they all have in common is I hate competition. Hmm. I know on any day there is somebody better looking, there is somebody richer, there is somebody better connected, there is somebody smarter, there is, you know, a company better positioned to do anything that's being done. Yeah. That's why I always try to do something that nobody's doing. Hmm. You have zero competition for a little while. Yeah. And the other people that were asleep at the wheel would rather buy your company than start from scratch. Yeah. Which is why People don't understand how these companies with zero revenue sell for a billion dollars. Mm. <laughs> Let me explain it. I've been a CEO. A CEO, people think they get paid a ton of money at public companies. They really don't. They get a small amount of money, but an incentive package that if they hit these certain numbers with the stock, they get paid boatloads of money, obscene amounts of money. So what do you think a CEO of a public company focuses on? Yeah. Building better products? Shareholders? No, how do I hit that metric that the board set for me? Every quarter, they're solely focused on hitting that magic number for that quarter because they get a big payout. So your big companies have all shut down R&D. They're not inventing new products. They're not doing it. They're cutting out all the cost. And so it is less risk for a CEO to overpay and buy a company of something that they can sell today than spend three years spending money and profits developing it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So when I saw that the television advertising world was imploding, everybody was fast forwarding, skipping commercials. I started uh, was CEO of a ad platform and showed that we could get more engagement than anybody was getting. And 18 months after, you know, I walked in the door, News Corp bought it for $200 million. Hmm. They had a huge problem and no solution. I didn't have to be the right solution. I had to be anything better than what they had. And I'm doing that again and again. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. It's really good. What do you think, um, just to, to wrap this up, with with how you things how you see things uh, going forward with uh, the nature of jobs and why this topic that you, you've written this book about is so important? This pandemic isn't going to be the only pandemic of our lifetime. 
this isn't going to be the only thing that disrupts your company, your industry, regardless of what it is. Yeah. And so much technology is changing in so many ways that if you sit there and believe in fate and let the world do to you what it wants, it's not a happy journey and the destination's the same. On the other hand, if you can look at all this disruption and change as opportunities in disguise and you can take control of it, then you can live the life that you want yeah. and that you deserve. It's important. And the other advantage that came out of this pandemic, especially if you don't live in Silicon Valley or wherever, is people now accept the idea that you can work remotely from the biggest companies to the smallest. Yeah. which means you're no longer limited to hire people that live within 10 kilometers of you. You can hire people anywhere in the world. You can create a virtual company. You can now compete with anyone anywhere. Your market is 7.6 billion people that have smartphones. So every business is about technology. You don't have to be an engineer. And you can hire those people. All that you need is the insight. Yeah. Look for the opportunities in the chaos because they're there. Exactly. What, uh, Jay, how can people be best reach you? You still got the website, jaysamit.com? Yeah, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T.com. And I have free workbooks for both Disrupt You and Future Proofing You. So you can download them and get started immediately. It has exercises to help you find your idea, find your voice, and That's cool. grab control of your, of your destiny in this uncertain world. Yeah, so it's on the on the first page, guys. I'll stick the links in the show note uh, for this interview with Jay Summit, and uh, links to the books as well. Jay, mate, thank you so much for coming on once again. Been an absolute pleasure. A pleasure. Stay safe out there, guys. Listening. Thanks for listening. And until next time, peace, passion, purpose. See you soon. Bye. Thank you, Jay. I like that peace, passion, purpose. Yeah, stick with it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes no, I don't know I, why. Uh... But... Truth number six was turning perseverance into passion. I, I really, that's the differentiator of people that, that give up and people that, that see it through. Perseverance, passion. Mate, I don't know if your publishers can send me a, a, a physical book, but I'd love to have a read if you if you can get them to do it. I'm in Australia, of um, course, and that makes it difficult sometimes. Did they send you a uh, digital version of the book? Oh, they. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't read digital, so I may have not accepted oh. a request, but... Um, I know that sounds funny, um, doesn't it? But I just I can send you that. I don't even have any physical yet. They come out March twenty third. March twenty third. So, okay. Well, this interview will probably be released closer to that date too. So that's good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know Amazon Australia will have it, so you'll probably get it faster from them. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And what do you think, um, Jay? While well, I've got you disrupting uh, real estate at the moment, I'm in real estate myself. Uh, well, real estate, if you no longer have to go to a big corporate headquarters, then you don't need to be in dense cities. Yeah. So commercial properties are going to go down. Retail, we've now seen, has gone away. And your residence is, if you don't have to live in the big, costly city, you can live somewhere else. So you're going to see high-value real estate go way down in value. Yeah. Well, as the way it's um as it's transacted traditionally, I and mean, this is where I see big things coming. Um, what are your thoughts there? Oh well, the the era where you need a real estate broker and a a escrow company taking a piece and a bank taking a piece, all that will be done by AI software. Those jobs are going away. There you go. That's a bit scary for no, me, isn't it? <laughs> the majority of accounting jobs will go away. And remember, I was vice chairman of Deloitte. 
Um, it's just the nature. Anything that yeah. can be automated will. Well, look, I'm the broker, so it's just a matter of like, how do I then change what I do to make sure I'm still earning? Yeah, focus on where things are going, not where they were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool, mate. Inspirational conversation gets you thinking, so I love it, and uh, the audience will too. And I'll share the link with you once it's launched. I appreciate you so much. Take Thank care. you, Jay. Bye.